1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Everything Elite. We've got a slightly different show for you this week. Obviously, we need to talk about the uh, speaking out movement, the accusations that have been made against wrestlers, including AEW wrestlers and staff. So we're going to get into that. Uh, I'm Aaron Bentley. I am joined, as always, by Nate, a.k.a. Epitasis. What's up, Nate?
2: Hi, Aaron. Nice to see you guys.
1: And uh, Mike is also here. Mike, how are you?
3: Hey, guys. I'm doing all right. Cool. Well, yeah. you know. How, I, I, how are you, Aaron? I'm fine. I'm fine. You know,
1: it's just a uh, uh, weird episode because there's a lot going on that uh, is unfortunate, but we also have to talk about it. So we will do that. If you want to get in touch with us, you can at everything AEW. I'm at Aaron like the car. Nate is at a Mike is at Fuji Heya. Here's what we're going to talk about. Speaking out all the issues related to that, we're going to talk about uh, some COVID news that's been bubbling up. We're going to run down Dynamite, and then we're going to preview at least the first night of Fighter Fest, which will be coming up next week. So let's just jump right into it. If you have not been paying attention, basically... Over several days, there have been uh, a lot of accusations largely of either sexual assault or partner uh, emotional verbal abuse that have been made on Twitter toward wrestlers and wrestling adjacent people. We discussed this briefly on the episode last week, but at that time, there hadn't been any allegations made against, uh, specifically made against AEW People. So we didn't talk about that. But we're going to talk about it on this episode. I want to, before we say anything, I want to say, of course, that these are all allegations. Nothing has been proven in a court of law. Also, it's not our original reporting. We're taking this from the people who have made the accusations or people who have made the accusations on behalf of the victims of these issues. Uh, But even though I, I did start out by saying that these are allegations, the I think I can speak for everybody on the show by saying that we believe victims. We uh, I think there's pushback on that sometimes related to, you know, guilt until proven innocence. But of course, uh, this podcast is not a court and we don't have to uh, believe in. Uh, I'm sorry, I said that backwards and we don't have to believe in innocence until uh, guilt is proven uh, because we're not trying to you know, take anybody's rights away. We just simply because of the way that everything is stacked against people who make these sorts of accusations, it, uh, and the fact that false allegations are so rarely made, that uh, it's best, we think, to just start from the perspective that the victim is telling the truth and go from there. So we're just going to get into it. Jimmy Havoc, uh, probably the, the biggest one in that uh, AEW responded pretty quickly. Basically, the allegations, I'm not going to go through everything that was alleged. You can certainly find these on Twitter. But essentially, it was a uh, partner emotional slash verbal abuse type allegation. And there was an allegation uh, that he had non-consensual sex with at least one person. AW released a statement that he's going to go to rehab related to mental health and substance abuse issues. They did note that they are aware of various reports related to Jimmy it's been going around that Florida law prohibits firing em- an employee who's in rehab. I don't believe that's true based on some uh, Google <laughs> research that I did. However, uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act does provide protections to people with um, issues with addiction or with substance abuse. However, I-, I feel pretty confident Jimmy Havoc's not an employee, so that wouldn't apply to him anyway. But those are the facts as I know them, as have been alleged against Jimmy Havoc, not really sure how to (laughs) bat these around as far as conversation, I guess, what did you all think about uh, the the response to uh, the Jimmy Havoc allegations?
2: Uh, Well, I think we've said previously on the show that um, we don't necessarily believe that uh, because somebody in written office until the end of time and, uh, you know, uh, you know, written off as a person until the end of time, I guess. Uh, of course, that doesn't mean that uh, we have to want to see them on television ever again or that we should uh, regard them in a favorable light ever again. Um, but you know, I speak specifically, we talked about Mike Tyson uh, uh, and he went and served his time and expressed remorse and you know, everybody sort of makes their own, calculations and determinations about how they feel about those things as they uh, come to know them. Um, this is a long way of saying, you know, uh, we do, not, I don't want to say we, it's probably good that Jimmy Havoc is good because uh, there's certainly reasons to believe from the allegations that he has, you know, underlying mental or substance abuse issues. Um, and it's, Probably good for an employer to support their employees or contractors that are seeking help for those sort of things. Um, that being said, uh, you know, here, this is a case where a lot of the conduct that has been alleged is so severe or, uh, you know, all that. Once those things have taken place and, you know, uh, they've done their due diligence as far as trying to rehabilitate Jimmy Havoc's capacity to uh, uh, care for himself, I guess. Um, you know, we would want to see what that evaluation of Jimmy Havoc as an employee looks like for AW. Um, you know, cause this is not a, there's a difficulty here because, you know, wrestling is, Well, I don't want to talk about his value as a wrestler. Um, Yeah, you know, fine statement as far as, I guess, standing by their employee. But, again, they didn't address the nature of those allegations. And they're pretty severe where rehabilitation does not excuse, I think, the actions that he's alleged to have conducted.
3: Yeah, I think that's a fair way of looking at it. It's... Very clear to me that Jimmy Havoc is someone with his own issues, but it doesn't excuse his actions. And the way that they phrased it, and something that I thought was kind of telling, and how they phrased it said they will we'll reassess his situation in the company after he completes rehab. That leads me to believe that, at least in a contractual sense, maybe or at least within like his employment for AEW, I would be utterly stunned, and we should absolutely hold AEW's foot to the fire if the if he's back on TV. I don't think that it's... I, I think that him having rehab and having uh, substance abuse and mental health problems to work through, I think that that is something that I think it's a good idea, that AEW at least is... I, at least my mindset, the way I'm looking at it, is... And this might be a little bit. This might be a a little bit of a uh, cold response towards Jimmy Havoc. The way I kind of look at what they're doing, and this is just from like the AEW standpoint, is we want to make sure that this person is going to be in a place that after he's done, we will cut ties and we won't deal with him ever again, and we don't have to worry about what would happen to this person. And yeah that's my expectation here i mean i think he's gone and he should be gone so
2: yeah and uh you know that was sort of dave's uh inclination was he didn't think that he would be back but yeah i think you know you don't want to leave somebody in that state of being out in the cold where you say okay well we cut all ties with him and did our part uh because of this uh horrible allegations and then you know who knows what state of mind he's in and what further misconduct he could perform being yeah. uh, a state like that, I think. Um but yeah, there there you know, there's not really any any defense or any rationale to having him come back and being a guy that people have to watch on TV.
3: Yeah, and an argument at least towards Havoc can be made of there has been incidents since his employee of AEW of him having substance ad- abuse issues while and having inner and having physical altercations with people Within AEW, while a, while drunk, so there is a conversation of, hey, you let him deal with this. Then why weren't you proactive about it then to now? And I, I also and, know. And
2: what kind of uh, what kind of culture are you fostering where that happens?
3: Right. Yeah. Because I know that there's been interviews about Tony Khan walking around with a duffel bag full of white claws. If you're someone who Is and and there's people on who are already involved in AEW or people who have conquered substance abuse or really you don't conquer substance abuse. It's something that you deal with every day of your life. Is is that necessarily a healthy environment? Just in the case of having someone that's going to rehab for substance abuse, is that a healthy environment there? Like this is be a well, like I know it's kind of tough to like partition off and say, we're talking about speaking out, but we're also talking about the environment of the company in a way, but there is, and especially within the the British wrestling stands, we've seen through speaking out. There is, I, I would say a level of drinking that does seem to be, and it's not excusing anyone's actions. And it's not saying like you shouldn't drink or that. It seems like that, that is an issue with the European wrestling scene. And I don't like the one thing that like, when I, when I've like seen there uh, and this also applies with sam Guffaro. When I've seen how AEW responded, number one thing in my mind, is like I understand why they're doing this as a company, but is this getting the victims the justice they deserve? Like, is this going to be the right path that for who, for the people making the accusations and the people that have been around the accusations, the victims, are they going to be able to get the justice they deserve and foster their own healing? And I don't know necessarily how it's possible for Jimmy Havoc to be around in his company and be on international television and in keeping in mind the victims. And I think that's, that's something that, again, I don't think it's going back, but it's something that I think has to be kept in mind that this is what the company is doing. And I think that the victims are being kind of left out in the dark a lot and making these decisions. And this is the only way it seems that for some, for some of these cases that there will be any sort of justice. And I think that kind of applies throughout the entire speaking out movement.
1: I think there's a couple of things that you made a point of that I would uh, want to address, which is one, you're right about the culture issue. I think what we're seeing through all this is there is a culture throughout wrestling of viewing women as less than and view, and, and male wrestlers viewing women wrestlers and fans as objects for them to engage in sexual conduct with, basically, and uh, not really anything beyond that. Using their connections, their power in the business as a way to uh, obtain sex, which is not uncommon, of course, in society generally. But there's something about the economic realities of wrestling, I think, that make it uh, an environment that is... It just fosters... I think the environment fosters... Uh, the problem that already exists in society more generally. So it is really important that AEW look at what kind of culture they want to have. I think it's important what you said, Mike, about, um, and and I'm not, I don't think you meant this either, but I'm not throwing shade at Tony Khan for one to have white claws at a, at a party. Like, you know, I don't really care about that, but it is true that substance abuse is a mental health issue. And there are people who, are not able to uh, safely and responsibly consume substances. So that is something that they should think about. I also think, Nate, you made a great point about, I think we're tiptoeing around a little bit, but obviously there can be a concern with folks um, like this of, if they have mental health issues, of self-harm in these sort of situations. So I think it's important that they have tried to help Jimmy in some way, even though, He's done things that a lot of people would say, you know, he he doesn't deserve any sort of help, but from my perspective, it's good that they're not leaving him out in the cold, as you said, Nate. But I think the interesting thing is the react, the different reactions to all of these accusations that we're going to talk about. And and I wonder if there's a way to figure out what, uh, what led to the different types of reaction. Let's talk about, Sammy Guevara, for example. So, on a radio show in 2016, Sammy said that he wanted to rape Sasha Banks. Uh, he was, my understanding, it's like a shock jock type call in radio show. Sammy later said he was, you know, trying to be shocking and whatever. Obviously, a completely inappropriate and unacceptable thing to say. He ended up being suspended without pay by AEW. He's going to be attending sensitivity training. The pay that he would have received is going to be donated to charity. Sammy also uh, released a video on YouTube in which he apologized specifically to Sasha Banks, uh, but also to everyone else for his use of that language. So these are the only two, there's several more or a few more allegations. These are the only two people to be punished in any way to this point. And, from the In the Sammy situation, you can see that there's no way around what happened. You can't call it an allegation. He did it. It's his voice. There's no way out of it. And especially in this environment, there's no way to let him skate on it. He had to pay a price for this, even if it was from four years ago. With Jimmy, I wonder if he admitted to some of, uh, some of what happened when he talked to Tony Khan. That's complete uh, theorizing on my part for the record. Uh, but I wonder, based on other accusations and the, and the response. But for Sammy, it's very clear. There was just nothing else they could do.
2: Yeah, so we kind of have to do a weird thing here where we're um, doing, like, analysis of the company's uh, performance in terms of uh, punishing people and hopefully creating some measure of justice that way. And also, we're, like, engaging in, like, weird PR critic uh, and you know also uh, just doing this common thing in the law where you make distinctions between things Uh, and I think there's people kind of reflexively I think don't like that tendency to draw those sort of distinctions Um, when you're talking about issues as severe as uh, you know, sexual assault and the other things that have been alleged and speaking out. But, uh, you know, that's sort of why the law exists is to make distinctions between some types of behavior and other types of behavior and and find where on the spectrum uh, those lie in terms of culpability, which is to say, um, yeah, they, I mean, I guess they did the best job AEW, I mean, responding to this particular controversy. Um which, on one hand, you're like, okay, yeah, good job. You know, you you gave him an appropriate punishment because you took away his money, uh, and you're donating it to an appropriate charity. Um, but the conduct that that is alleged here is, you know, really unfortunate speech that should actually absolutely be pushed back against, and you know, ideally would never happen in the first place. Uh, And, you know, contributes to uh, rape culture in a way that has actual ramifications on, uh, you know, people's lives and suffering. But, uh, you know, that is still very distinct from actual conduct, which is what, you know, uh, the allegations are Jimmy Havoc participated in and other people that we're going to talk about uh, also seem to have participated in, you know, actual conduct that is worse than speech referencing said conduct. Um, so I, you know, I pointed this out on Twitter, which was, Hey, you know, AEW was pretty prompt to respond to this probably because it had become a larger issue on Twitter because it involved the WWE wrestler and it was, you know, a lot of banter about ratings and stuff. And it plays into that, uh, you know, larger wrestling war really. Um, and that's why it became a, Larger issue and an issue that more people could definitively fall on one side of. Um, but it would have been nice to see those responses about the other people we're going to talk about, I guess is what I want to say. Cause you know, uh, as you said, Aaron, there is, they, they sort of have the out on this one that they can say, Oh, you know, the, the conduct is not a matter of controversy. There's nobody disputing that it happened. Whereas b- mostly because it's on tape Um, Whereas we're going to talk about people later that are reasonably identified from fact patterns, but we're not explicitly named. Then, you know, that kind of gives AEW an out. They say, oh, that person was not explicitly named, so we don't have to do anything. Um, And that's not really satisfactory because, you know, it's apparent. It's uh, been made apparent uh, in obvious places. And, you know, we know that people like Tony Connor are on Twitter and see this sort of stuff. So, um, you know, I, I really don't have a lot to say about Sammy Guevara, you know, because the punishment has been determined at this point, you know, extremely uh, awful comments, but comments that are common among idiot gamer bros of a certain age and, you know, will continue to be made by idiot gamer bros of a certain age uh, on the Internet for a long time to come. Sure. Um, And yeah, you know, he posted a a pop and made apology phone calls that, you know, seemed genuine to the degree that you can sort of judge these things. Um,
3: Yeah. um, I I, I think you've pretty much have hit all the nails on the head. Uh, The only big thing that I would add to it is that, with with all the other ones, and the one, the Jimmy Havoc and the ones we are to talk about, there, other than being instructive, that there is like a form of justice that needs to be delivered, and there's a form of rehabilitation at least towards the victims, so the victims are able to heal and move on and feel like that they were heard and that their accusations were taken on the level. And with Sammy, of course, it's out there, it's said. And the, the bigger issue with Sammy's thing is how it perpetuates a strain of toxic masculinity and rape culture, as y'all mentioned that very is a very big problem, especially with younger men. And especially as Nate kind of facetiously said, towards like gamer culture and like YouTuber culture and things that 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 concurrently with wrestling having this moment, there's also been like a streamer moment about things that like what you say has consequences. This isn't anyone who says, oh, First Amendment, whatever. They're complete idiots and you disregard because your words have consequences. And I feel like that this was uh, a, it's not my place to say this was a, uh, if this was a correct amount of punishment, but it does seem that he has been taking what I believe are the necessary steps, at least to recognize his faults and his, Message and it seemed like that it was his apology was genuine and something that and it's not even minor but some it's something that's so minor uh it it should be noted that for someone who's such like a youtuber culture person he promptly when he posted this demonetized his youtube video no ads he made sure that was just going to go out there and reach as many people and i think that that pretty much if you want to look at this in a very craven way that shows that someone's taking what his action seriously and i think that that him taking his actions seriously means that I hope he goes through this training. I hope that he learns from his mistake and I hope that he does what he can in the future to to stop perpetuating toxic toxic masculinity and rape culture.
1: I do just want to say before we move on that like, uh, this is not particularly fun to talk about and I'm not sure that it's compelling audio in any way either. Uh, It's just that I think, because we talk about these people on a weekly basis, and oftentimes we uh, say very positive things about them, I think it's important for us to note these things and make sure that we have uh, accounted for everything that's out there so that uh, every, at least our audience is aware of it and uh, we can all kind of deal with it together. I This is like the exact wrong time to talk about... Um, different forms of of justice and uh, and whatnot, but we all have to reckon with the fact that these things harm victims and they harm communities. These things harm uh, lots of wrestling fans in the way that, you know, you may not feel as safe going to shows. You may have things that have happened to you be dredged up by uh, these allegations and, and what's going on. And so, I think it's important for us as a community to uh, to reckon with them together, uh, regardless of of how it affects our podcast. So we'll move on and and discuss a few more. Justin Roberts, the AEW ring announcer, also was accused. uh, Accused might not be the right word. There were screenshots that were posted of Justin Roberts engaging in inappropriate texting with a uh, young woman who it turns out was 17 years old at the time. I'm like the last thing I'm going to do here is defend Justin Roberts. The texts were extremely creepy. Uh, the texts themselves or the, the screenshots themselves didn't show that he knew she was 17, but I don't know that that's really a very good. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, it's just worth pointing out, but Roberts, so he was on dynamite last night. So he doesn't seem to have uh, received any suspension or, or any sort of discipline in, in that way. Uh, and. We have no idea why. This is a real problem with the company's transparency. We might talk about that later with COVID protocols, but, you know, like transparency is so important of like why you make decisions and what you decide to do. And this isn't a behind the curtains, you know, kayfabe type thing. You should be able to uh, let the fans and your audience know what you're doing about things like this. They could they could easily put out a statement. We're aware of the allegations against Justin Roberts. We're investigating. Uh, we're going to let him continue to work while we try to decide what you know what's what's what. But they haven't done that. They've done nothing. So it, it only leaves us to speculate about what's going on.
2: Yeah, and when uh, again, Tony Khan is quick to respond to random tweeters, giving transparency on individual booking decisions. Uh, it makes the silence on this stuff that much more noticeable. Like, oh well you could respond on why the best friends don't have their title challenge yet. Uh, but when there are serious allegations against uh, your in-ring performers or somebody like just Roberts here and he just shows up on your TV and it's like, well, we can probably guess that you didn't miss the story. So what's the story behind, you know, nothing happening here.
3: And as another thing you talk about transparency and Another thing about the fact of how transparent they've been and prompt they were about Jimmy Havoc and Sammy Guevara, the questions asked, you have a president now and you, you've already shown that, and I'm not equating at all when it says, we've already said that you'll take action with someone who's had something that was definitively online. And if you're someone who's going to say, oh, you could fake those screenshots, bro, fuck off but it, it's it like you have physical things here like why is there an action and this is something that I think for like as we talk about Justin Roberts and the other two this is something that I believe that fans should hold Tony Khan a- accountable if he's more than willing to to tweet about like oh that this was like why best friends didn't come in to make the save for Orange Cassie three weeks ago then he should ha- be put to the fire and said this is why we haven't done this or we are not investigating or we have a good or we've done investigation because as y'all say like transparency goes both ways when you're not transparent then you're opening yourself up for us to say like what are you doing why is this guy on tv and and why is someone so insignificant staying on tv in this in this role when we know that there's people in the promotion who have in recent weeks have done the job just as well so people should hold them accountable for this because it's transparency and it's having an it established protocol which they've made through jimmy havoc and simi guevara i'm not going to say what should happen to justin roberts but i'm going to say we have documentation like this isn't this is one of those things that like he was creepy with someone who was underage and why is there no statement or why is there no repercussions i'll say
2: what
1: should happen if they investigate and find out he knew she was 17 he should be fired oh
3: absolutely immediately. yeah
2: yeah it's sort of like like Mike said, you know, uh, maybe he's an above replacement value announcer, but he's, you know, he's a ring announcer.
1: Right. And it's like, you don't want them making decisions based on uh, the value of the person to the company. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, there are people that it just, it makes you wonder about the company's decision-making process when someone who has uh, such little relative value to the company uh, is so far skating on something that is very obviously inappropriate. So we'll see if something comes up, but him being on dynamite last night, doesn't give me much hope as far as that goes. There have also been accusations made against Darby Allen, basically, and you can again, find these on Twitter. Basically it, the accusations were of partner, emotional and verbal abuse of a former girlfriend and also accusations of coerced sexual activity. Darby was posting uh, last night that he was training for his return to Dynamite. Of course, he's been injured since double or nothing. There's been uh, no statements from the company either way about him coming back or not coming back, but you would certainly expect him not to be posting during Dynamite about his impending return if uh, the company had told him that he was going to be suspended. So this seems to be another one that we just they're not transparent enough to give us any idea of uh, what they're going to do. It seems like they're not going to do anything about it.
2: Yeah. I mean, um we might be able to surmise from other Darby posts that the company probably doesn't have a lot of control over what he posts at any given time. You know, it, he could just have done that uh of his own accord, but certainly nobody communicated to him. Hey, don't fucking do that right now. Um, so yeah, this is, uh you know, not good. Um, uh, you know, again, if we're talking about making distinctions between something, this is closer to the Jimmy Havoc threshold of conduct than Justin Roberts or Sammy Guevara's conduct was, uh, but we didn't get a statement on him. Um, whereas we did get a statement on Sammy Guevara and we got, uh, you know, a punishment and resolution on Sammy Guevara's conduct. um, so that's just not satisfactory.
3: Yeah. And I don't know if I have too much to add to that. It's the the whole, like him tweeting during dynamite thing is a whole different thing that gets up. And if we ever get to a point of talking about their social media one day, I will go off on that. So that's just an aside there, but yeah, no, like you have now established protocol and you are not allowing your viewers and, people who give money to promotion, understand, like, are you even investigating this? Are you even, are there any repercussions? Is the reason he's saying he's quote unquote, training for return to the ring that he has a silence of, uh, has a silent uh, suspension that we don't know about and they're not going to make public. It should be made public. So it's another thing that along with Roberts that I fully think that, it seems like it has to be up to the fans to hold the company to account here because they're not doing their own volition.
1: Yeah, I, part of me wants to believe that the difference is, you know, like Sammy's thing was out there. Maybe Jimmy admitted to it. These others are disputed. You know, that's kind of... Right. But what I really think is happening is the Jimmy Havoc thing reached, and the Sammy Guevara thing, reached real thresholds on Twitter of just blasting through... If you go read a Darby Allen tweet right now, you got to go, you got to scroll all the way down before you'll find somebody talking about these allegations. Most of them are just your normal Darby fan reply. So I don't think this has really broken through the allegations against Darby.
3: And and this is something that I mentioned last week that as we were recording, we did not have these specific accusations and these specific AEW wrestlers being. uh, being alleged to have conducted these acts and the identified big, by name, yeah. Identified by name, correct. And that's one of the things I said was I hope that because of the bigger names it's that commit acts and there should and that there's some sort of resolution in them that does not mean that people ignore the smaller names. And yeah that's a pretty valid point there and that there's a chance that they might be saying like, oh, this has gone over, we're just gonna throw Derby out on TV, which is a fucked up way to deal things and that's infuriating.
2: Yeah, and that's kind of, you know, you expect basically that from a, uh, you know, corporate business that exists for the purposes of making money. You know, they think there's money in somebody and they're probably saying, well, can we skate on this? Has this broken through to the larger consciousness? Is this, uh, you know, of a severity that we absolutely have to address it? And it just sucks always engaging with you know, every form of entertainment media under the sun, because they all operate by those, uh, judgments, um, instead of just making, you know, the moral judgments that you would want to see, uh, people with, um, you know, best intentions make, which is like, okay, well, you know, very serious allegations have been made against this person. We should address them just as seriously as we've addressed the rest of them, uh, regardless of how much individual traction they might've gotten. Um, and, you know, you talk about an investigation by the company or something like that. That's, you know, can kind of be like a phony PR thing. You know, you say, oh, sure. oh well, we're conducting an investigation. Um, but it is, you know, you also as a viewer of a television entertainment program, you know, you can also don't have an expectation that the company is going to be hiring, you know, private detectives to to go and look through. You know, original documents to find out the truth of these things. But uh, you have the chief legal officer of the company, I think, on this television show doing like kayfabe, cute wrestling segments, which we've enjoyed in the past and is, you know, fun in its pro wrestlingness. But somebody in that position would probably also be somebody in the position of uh, addressing these sort of things uh, or conducting those sort of investigations. So it's you know it's kind of a bitter pill when it's like hey here's our chief legal officer no she's not talking about any of the serious allegations uh, made uh, uh, of our talent she's here to talk about the fake wrestling match
3: yeah and, and that's something as well that I think they also had their chief operating officer I think his name's Nick Sobik, that was on that segment as well and they have such a crossover with the Jacksonville Jaguars which is both a good thing and a bad thing. And when we get into like this when we talk about COVID, it's the answer. The question is, is with the NFL, with the Jaguars, there's an established protocol. There's an established thing that for the most part is either published or whenever something comes out, they give the reason for that. This with wrestling, we do not have that. And that's a complicated uh, line for them to cross.
1: I think it's just you're right, Nate, about, you know, the investigations by corporations is mostly bullshit. I think we've all just been beaten down because the the system that's set up to litigate these issues has failed.
2: Doesn't exist.
1: (laughs) No. You know, the police are not going to investigate this woman's accusations against Darby Allen and make it happen in such a way that we will ever know for certainty what the truth is. And there will be actual um, punishment. An actual justice of, in any real way. So, all we're left with, which is frankly true about a lot of the system in this country, all we're left with is for corporations to do what the state will not do. And so, yeah, I guess it affects even me where I'm like, God, I wish this corporation would investigate <laughs> these allegations uh, because we don't have anyone else to do it. It, it. But to me, in that situation, and I understand people pushing back against this in some way, but to me, A credible allegation is made without the ability to determine uh, with certainty the veracity. You have to act as if it's true. That's just my, that's how I uh, believe. That's what I think should happen. The the last allegation that we're going to talk about, this person was not named. In replies to the tweet, they were listed as someone who is on AEW every week. Uh, They were a WWE wrestler at the time that the conduct occurred. Essentially, the person is accused of forcing kisses on uh, some women and forcing them into a hotel room, trying to coerce them into some sort of sexual activity. And then uh, upon realizing that they were not going to engage in that sexual activity, apparently trying to pull one of their tops down before finally letting them leave. There was some uh, Twitter sleuthing, I suppose. I guess the Consensus uh, is that the the only person that it worked out with the timeline of someone who was in WWE at this time and is now in AEW.
2: Right. Uh, well, and the other detail was the um, person who made this allegation later shared, I think, independent locker rooms with this person. And that was the other uh, key detail that w- the repliers would seem to indicate uh, identifies Jake Hager.
1: Right. So... As we saw on Dynamite, Jake Hager is is involved and they are going forward with his match against Cody for Fighter Fest. So again, it doesn't appear that any action will be taken uh, relevant to Jake Hager. And again, it seems like that's because they are doing a part plausible deniability thing of, well, you know, his name wasn't included and in part this just hasn't pushed through as much as some of the bigger allegations have
2: yeah and you know in an innovative in- program even um and yeah you know you have to i don't think any of us have high expectations of corporations uh and no. you know and pro wrestling in general to handle these sort of things above the line um but yeah uh you know so you can absolutely uh lead yourself to the conclusion that it's oh well he wasn't explicitly named you know it didn't rise to a fever pitch on social media, like the Jimmy Havoc or Sammy Guevara uh, issues did. So they're just going to see if they can skate with it. Um, you know, and uh, I guess I'll, on that point, you know, Tony Khan and his father have worked in the NFL. They have, I'm sure a lot of experience in dealing with people who are valuable as the, valuable to them as players on a, on the team valuable to them, um, in that football context that have engaged in, you know, serious misconduct. And so the, you know, I, I don't know that this is fresh ground for them. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not, I don't think we can, uh, err on the side of giving them the benefit of the doubt. You know, we can say, you know, they yeah. dealt with these sort of issues before, um, they know that these sort of issues exist in sports and in the wrestling industry and in every other industry. And, uh, you know, they have to imagine have some sort of protocol or at least prior experience dealing with this stuff and, and trying to make a determination on, um, what they have to address and what they don't have to address.
3: Yeah. And and that's kind of what I was getting at before about that. And especially like with that, you would think that the crossover there and, you would think that I think a reasonable assumption would be made that with this NFL experience and with having people who literally work for the Jacksonville Jaguars as a part of your C-suite, that you're going to be implementing a lot of your experience and probably your protocols from your other franchise. And just one last thing: the idea of corporations being the determination here. I am not a fan of Pinkertons or anything in that sort of fashion. I just want to make that abundantly clear but as ab said this is the only only chance for the victims to have any sort of justice so the, just wanted to clarify that at that point a little bit about that but i think you all covered the hager allegations as well as one could
2: i quickly but, um, oh, i'm sorry go ahead Nate. Well, so i was going to sort of go into a new uh aspect to this whole conversation so if, do you want to hit something on hager or?
1: i was going to say i quickly googled jaguar sexual assault And it looks like two years ago, Marcel Darius was accused of uh, sexually assaulting women uh, after meeting them at a bar in Florida. And it appears best I can tell that he continued to play for the Jaguars for two more years was later cut. But now I read a story that says the Jaguars are open to bringing him back. So, I mean, I think that tells you (laughs) what the response has been uh, from that organization.
2: Kind of tells you what you need to know. Um, so I was just going to raise, I guess, the larger issue and, uh, and spring this on you guys of how we're going to talk about these people going forward. Um, I, I guess I would say it's not, I don't know that it's to uh, the podcast benefit or listeners benefits who want to listen to a podcast about the wrestling show to have these sort of issues brought up every time one of these people is on TV. Um you know, every time Darby Allen does something, I, I I don't know that it's beneficial to say Darby Allen, comma, who was uh, you know accused by a partner of coerced sexual activity against their consent. Um, but you know, of course, it's going to color, I think, our perceptions of these people. You know, uh, wrestling is very dependent on having some sort of investment in the individuals, um, and especially in current wrestling the individual is sort of behind the performers and yeah. i don't think any of these things will be leaving our mind especially not if we don't get any sort of uh you know reasonable resolution or uh, attempt to address them so um uh, i was just gonna throw that out there
3: yeah i mean and again i think everyone has their own personal value judgments about what how people perceive people and how people perceive justice and what people perceive like that. I know that inherently within me, yeah, this colors my opinion, at least of these five people. And am I going to constantly bring up like uh, uh, Darby Allen, who was accused by a former partner of course sexual activity without their consent? No, I'm not going to. But it's it's very hard for me, and it is something that you brought up, Nate. That I think is it another like side issue that is going on for us with the idea of the veil between backstage and fans being pierced and how that's like now a new form of investment is the wrestlers not just as performance but the wrestlers as people that you know this is a big coming to terms with the overall industry and especially within society especially in a society that is so misogynistic and in so many different ways so in a patriarchal. So, I mean, I know, I'll say this: I've had to cover some people who have had who've been named and speaking out on my Dragon Gate podcast, and it's just something that, as like a historical record, it's not that these people it seems like are being deleted from existence. They 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 will be there. It's just going to color my perception of them from now on. And for some of them, there there could be like Sammy Guevara. You know, it's one of those things that he could come to terms with this and the uh, sensitivity training, Could he could take it to heart and he could be using this as an experience where he fucked up, but he also knows that he fucked up and he makes the necessary adjustments both to himself and then also to, of course, the people he aggrieved. And that's completely different than I feel like some of the other ones. But yeah, I'm rambling.
1: Frankly, I I guess I don't know how I'm going to, think about or or talk about these people going forward it watching the show last night i was bummed when justin roberts came out like at the start of the show but then you just kind of get watching wrestling the most bummed i've been has been really diving into this stuff as we're talking about it here and really thinking about it and like fuck uh, this company's not going to do anything and and we cover this company every week so at times i think that's going to be uh, disheartening. And, you know, especially this is like, this is a shitty way to talk about this, I think, but I don't think it's any secret that I have absolutely adored Darby Allen as a performer since the very beginning, uh, of his, of his career, basically. I mean, most of the beginning of his career. And I looked, I had looked forward to following him to being the world champion in this promotion and, you know, really getting, uh, uh, what I thought, he deserved as a performer. So it breaks my heart in like a really dumb way that just has to do with me being a fan of his. And so it's going to be really hard, I think to discuss him going forward, because if he has a great match, am I an asshole for saying like, wow, Darby was really good in this match. And I had a lot of fun watching it when there's a lot of people who, I mean, I I will think about this, I hope forever, every time I see Darby, but there's a lot of people who, either won't be able to watch or are going to have to uh, steal themselves to watch because it's going to dredge up some shit that they uh, don't really want to be thinking about, you know? So I don't know. I think it's going to be a struggle.
2: Yeah. And um, I think that's, I think everybody probably kind of shares that or shares your feelings on that, at least with some aspect of the life, because this is, you know, maybe I'm, uh, historically incorrect, but this is like pretty uncharted ground for society because we're trying to undo thousands of years of patriarchy and rape culture. And, uh, that's, and we're trying to do it outside of any sort of system. Um, and that's going to result in, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh you know irreversible kind of uh, uh harm to people's lives in the name of greater progress and in the name of uh, you know creating a better society you know the 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 accusers and these women are going to have um and you know accusers of any gender are going to have Uh, you know, uh, uh, something probably hanging over them for the rest of their lives because, you know, they spoke out in the attempt to create a better society where these things don't happen um, and where this uh, sort of treatment is not systemic to the degree that it is. Um, And I think that's worth bearing in mind that this is, you know, before Harvey Weinstein, like there weren't mass identifications of powerful people that had you know habitually committed these sort of acts um and you know it was a global thing um so it's all it's you know really uncharted ground for all of society <laughs> so uh you know it, it, it everybody's going to handle it differently and uh you know it's it's going to be a learning experience for everybody i guess
1: and and i think it's particularly weird as it relates to wrestling in that part of me wants to say, I have to consume wrestling in a different way. I can't become so invested in specific performers because you just don't know, you know, it's not like watching sports where if you have a team that you like, it doesn't really matter who the players are. And if the players change or the player is, is bad, you can just, ah, I root for the team, you know, not a big deal. But if I stopped becoming invested in wrestlers in that way. I don't think wrestling would be very fun to watch.
2: Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so- yeah, like I said, that, that's part of the appeal of wrestling is getting that investment and watching somebody become a star and have their you know dreams fulfilled and have these, uh, you know, matches and personal accomplishments. That's part of the appeal. And this is also uncharted ground as individuals um, because we also don't very rare to hear these sort of stories about people we know in our day-to-day lives. You know, I, I, I mentioned this in a group chat, like, you know, we're all guys, we've all had male friends, some significant percentage of our male friends has engaged in, you know, coercive sexual conduct with people. And we will, we don't know, and we will never know that. Um, and we just don't have to address that because we never are given that knowledge. Um, you know, that, you know, we'll certainly, uh, you know, have all known guys that have turned out to be creeps and been like, oh, what the fuck, and, and changed your behavior accordingly. Um, but there's some, you know, un, un, other unknowable percentage that we'll never know about. Whereas engaging with a wrestling show or any other entertainment show, we have to deal with that information, uh, and adjust our behavior accordingly in a way we don't have to do in just our normal lives. Um, and so it, again, it, it's unique in that way and it's uncharted in that way. Uh, so, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully having a conversation about it is to someone's benefit.
1: Okay, well, let's move on from that into uh, one more news topic before we talk about the show. There's some some COVID-19 news today there. I don't know that we can put a number on it now, but there seem to have been a lot of positive COVID tests at WWE in the past Well, I'm not sure exactly when the tests were performed, but they're starting to find out now that a lot of people tested positive. Uh, Renee Young also tested positive, though she tested at home. It wasn't through the WWE test.
0: In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now Off. Again, that's arena club.com slash VOW net, arena club.com slash VOW net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of the Wrestling Podcast Network.
1: This ties into AEW because that's why John Moxley wasn't at Dynamite last night uh, because he's now been in contact, obviously close contact, with someone who has contracted the virus. And frankly, I think it's up in the air whether he's going to be at Fighter Fest at all. Uh, An interesting just news notice that Kayla Braxton from WWE tweeted that she tested positive, even though she previously tested positive in March. I know there is some thought out there about uh, antibodies and how long you might be protected. Of course, we should say that the tests have false positive rates. So it's certainly possible that she falsely tested positive on one of those occasions. Uh, The other AW note was that QT Marshall came in contact with someone who tested positive. And so that's why he and his students were not at dynamite last night. But I think this brings up a bigger issue, which is that as we talked about on this show, you cannot, you can't do this safely. We've said that, but this is a great example. Why? Because people come in contact with other people, especially now that states are starting to open up and you can go anywhere and people are being less safe. And so there's just no way to do these mass gatherings of people without uh, putting people at risk of contracting this virus.
3: Yeah. And a bigger thing that I feel like that is seems to be only really an issue with the major North American televised wrestling companies are that in Japan... Everyone that has come back and is planning on coming back and have announced shows in front of crowds have announced that a protocol. And I know in the case of New Japan, it was a seven to eight page PDF of this is what we're doing, this is what's happening behind the stage. This is what's happening for fans. This is how everything will be taken day by day. I know that Dragon Gate has had a similar protocol. We do not we have never had any sort of protocol come forth not just from AEW, but from WWE. And that is a public safety disaster because as Florida has become, it's become like the biggest hotspot right now in the world for COVID-19. And with the action of the state governments, and I might have a different perspective about this as well, as I live in the Southeast and my state opened up at a similar time and has been having terrible bounces of it that have not been at the numerical the numeral scale of the uh, florida but at least proportionally might be in a very similar situation that let's say i'm just well one of you name a random WWE or aew wrestler just for this exercise i'm gonna propose otis all right otis (laughs) let's talk about money at bank winner otis he did win money in the bank right
2: i think so money in the bank otis
3: okay mr money bank otis I do not know where Mr. Money in the Bank Otis lives outside of whenever he's in Florida. I'm willing to guess because he is a recent uh, NXT wrestler and someone who was at the PC that he still lives in Florida. But let's say that you are someone that wherever WWE Money in the Bank 2021 or Otis lives, let's say you work at the gas station or at the the pharmacy. WWE uh, Money in the Bank winner Otis might have be walking around with as a carrier or someone who would test positive asymptomatically of COVID. It is a danger that if they don't have a protocol there about what's happening there, that's out publicly, that we know that, Oh, WWE money bank winner Otis has tested positive that you could be getting positive and you won't be able to contract trace. Cause that seems to be such an important thing here. And it's such a failing that I noticed today that, Friend of the show, Cubs fan, posted a thread because there was a show in Mexico that happened in an empty arena and they got in a lot of trouble because it was it was in an area the country was not seven D arena. But then they published what they did and they showed what they did. We don't have that. All we have again are tweets from it's tweets from like Tony Khan, at least for AEW, or we get reports of dozens of tests. And I mean, calling a spade a spade, AEW has to have shows because they have to supply content to Turner. Like that is they have no other major revenue sources. That's yeah, how they Alvarez operate.
2: did say today, oh, if they don't do shows, then they, they would go out of business at this point.
3: Right. so the fact that like Jacksonville area, Duval County, big hot spot. Uh as well know, Orlando, big hotspot. The fact that they don't have any sort of protocol here that like it, it's good that they were cognizant and they were like, Hey, QT was in someone in Georgia and he came in contact with it that tested positive. They said both Both QT and his students they brought down, they are all out. And the same for John Moxley. But the fact is that now you have the the situation that John Moxley, to my knowledge, still is in Las Vegas, Nevada. He might have had this for a while and hasn't shown symptoms because of his wife not getting tested until now and only finding out through a home test. And it's deplorable. It's deplorable. Sorry for that rant. I get really worked up about COVID.
1: No, I mean, it's true. It's another it's a transparency issue, uh, as we've been talking about. That's just an issue with this company where they want to, as Nate was talking about, be transparent about shit that doesn't matter. And, you know, it's just let me explain this dumb little booking thing to three people on Twitter, but not explain these big issues. So it's just uh, it's an ongoing problem and something that uh, doesn't appear like it's going to be. Resolved anytime soon, at least not in a positive way. Let's talk about Dynamite. That's gonna be my suggestion for uh how we continue on this podcast. So, Dynamite, Wednesday night, kicked off with a lumberjack match. Wardlow defeated Luchasaurus with an F-10. After the match, MJF attacked Jungle Boy, the ring filled up with people, as it is wont to do. And Tony Schiavone announced that he'd just been told by Tony Khan, the official canon matchmaker, that they've signed Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus versus MJF and Wardlow.
3: This match, owned. This might have been one of my favorite lumberjack matches I've ever seen, just because they used lumberjacks when it was appropriate, and they didn't do that. It so allowed these two to have what I call the meat slapping against meat fight, which I enjoy. Wardlow doing a shooting star press. Oh no, it wasn't Wardlow. It was Luchasaurus doing a shooting star press was insane. It just was like a fun match. and I think they need to have three oh five life. We need to have a big boy season happen in aew
1: after that we had a technique by Taz video. He's talking about Brian Cage and, you know, furthering the uh, the feud with John Moxley.
2: yeah, Taz is uh, really good at these. and I like I like combining his two different roles here and that he's been doing these technique videos for a while, and now he's doing it with the express purpose of putting over the guy that he's managing. Uh, that's a good dynamic, I think. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, Taz is a highlight in this right now.
1: Britt Baker sent Tony a note. She says, you are taking off friendship timeout, even though you left me in the dumpster. And we see Britt in the back of, uh, you know, the vehicle that she was in last week. But now they have enclosed it in plexiglass and given her a security guard. Of course, as they pointed out on Twitter, the plexiglass may have been because she likely has been in contact with Adam Cole, who has likely been in contact with people who have COVID if he doesn't. Yeah.
2: There's just no real – there's no way. You know, the the, the WWE outbreak was inevitable. NBA is having their outbreak before they even get into this so-called bubble in Florida. You know, there's going to be people in AEW that get it if they don't already have it. Um, and it, you know, in the future, we're going to have somebody significant in wrestling is going to die from this. Um, so just keeping up the, uh, you know, <laughs> great mood for this episode. Um, you know, this is cute, Britt's a great heel. We love Brit's character.
1: I, I'm convinced that the, the wealthy and powerful have uh, a COVID vaccine, uh, or treatment. No one of any note, uh, like as far as like powerful people have died from this disease. So that's just that's my conspiracy theory.
2: Well, but they we we do think they probably catch it. So maybe not a vaccine, but maybe a treatment. A treatment,
1: yeah. Not yeah, okay, I'll go with that. Speaking of conspiracy theories, no Hikaru Sheeta defeated Red Velvet. Next, uh Sheeta and Penelope Ford got into it as Sheeta was coming in to the ring. Sheeta hit two moves, the last one being a Falcon Arrow, and she won. After the match, she basically hopped right up from the pinfall, jumped the barricade, attacked Penelope, knocked out Kip Sabian, broke his glasses. Altogether, just a great segment, I thought.
2: Um, yeah, so I, I did like this segment. Um, I liked Sheeta and Penelope just getting into it immediately, Sheeta destroying her opponent, and then getting right back to the matter at hand, which is her upcoming match with Penelope. At some point on this show, I was going to complain about every match getting an angle and there being 16 brawls on this show. We've been complaining about brawl inflation. So I guess I'll do it here because the lumberjack match, I guess you give a pass because the brawl is sort of integral to having all the lumberjacks at ringside. Um, but yeah, you know, a, another half dozen brawls on this show and you'd, each one just matters a little bit less because you've seen it a dozen times. Which is a shame
3: because this brawl ruled. Like, I feel like that this match was as well built as any match leading up to fighter Fest. from just like this five minute segment. I feel like did a lot better job than nearly every title match, every other title match. And because you had so many brawls and it gates, how awesome it was.
1: Yeah. And I've been uh, talking about how much I've hated the Penelope Ford part of this build, but I think they've done a great job as far as if the build is basically this person cheated to get a title shot. At least Sheeta has carried her side of it by just hating Penelope and being pissed off about Penelope cheating. And they have, as Mike said, built a pretty nice little match here that I'm excited to see. Next whew, was the Fighter Fest press conference. Uh, as Nate mentioned earlier, Mega Parek, the, the lawyer, the chief legal counsel, was there. And we got worked questions from PWI. <laughs>
2: Which was I cool. do I do like that. That is, <laughs> it was know. very goofy because there was clearly not a big audience of people there. Kind of a interesting choice to attempt this angle in the COVID era. Um, they had like maybe one one body who they uh, shot from behind to make it look like he was a, a reporter in a crowd. Uh, it's a very goofy premise here.
3: Yes, I am mad about it because why use PWI when you could have the best podcasts about all the wrestling on? I would be willing. To give my name, to say like, "Hey, Mike Spears, everything elite." I have a question here. I, I, I told Tony Khan online, "Why didn't I get a call for this?" Because I would have done it. I would have done sp- it. I've been in a full hazmat suit. Not, Mike not- Spears
1: willing to do uh, kayfabe question or worked questions, which on-
3: is funny because I hated the all-out stuff. Right, that's what I was thinking. I, I, it's just power, and the idea of being on national telev- TV versus a dumb YouTube video. <laughs> Two different things for me. Uh, so, so we're this, working on.
2: We're going to establish the spectrum of of Mike Spears' principles. Yeah, by judging, yeah. <laughs> if you put him on TV, then he has oh, none.
3: I, I I will wear a tracksuit on national TV for that. <laughs> I'll wear this one. Mike, Mike right if now. you wear
2: the hazmat suit, they're not going to be able to see the tracksuit. Well, yes.
3: there are like clear hazmat suits.
2: We I mean, need a custom hazmat suit that's <laughs> yeah. painted to look like a
3: tracksuit. <laughs> <laughs> that is painted firebird purple and looks like an Adidas <laughs> SST tracksuit. That's it. There we go. But yeah, no, this segment sucked. This was this was terrible.
1: Yeah, so it well, started with Arn talking about Arn Anderson talking about Jake Hager not being there, and then he goes on this long thing about how he was telling Cody it wasn't the time for Hager to challenge him to get Cody mad, and then Cody said he was mad. So that's how R knows that the, that it worked, that doing all this worked. Then they started letting Cody talk, and somehow he turned it into this thing about Ricky Starks and not having any money before he got signed by AEW, which I thought was pretty rude,
2: the, uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> frankly. Heavy, heavy shot at the NWA. Um, yeah. Cody was attempting to do something about the American dream and hard times here, um, but... Yeah, it uh, it did not really work. No,
1: it, he tried to do a thing with hope where he tied. It was a very like politician speech thing where you you have your your hook, and so you're gonna make your points hit those hooks, but uh, it didn't really work that well. In the middle of him talking, thank God uh, it was it was broken up. Jake Hager showed up with his wife Catalina. Jake and Cody do the uh, you know the UFC boxing face off kinda, and then Catalina threw water on Cody. This made Dustin Rhodes, who was also there, very mad. And uh, that was basically the end of the segment.
2: Yeah. um, So if I was going to delete something on this show, um, I kind of got old face fatigue on this show. And I mean that uh, in two ways. Uh, First of all, you know, I've complained about the Arn's coach gimmick ever since he debuted here. His promos do not really do anything for me. Uh, He obviously in his day was a tremendous promo, but... Having him cut this promo in front of a literal fake crowd of one person was dead. Um, and then, you know, just too many faces up and down this show that I've had my fill of <laughs> seeing at other companies. I don't know. It's like they were doing this thing where they were bringing an ex WWE talent and being like, it doesn't matter what they did in the other company because we're going to use them properly here. It doesn't matter that people had all these old perceptions of it, but there is a, threshold or a breaking point or a tipping point um, where all those old faces recognized from other companies kind of overwhelm the product and the brand you got Arn here. You got, uh, you know, Jake Hager here, even Cody, Matt Hardy, and another long featured singles match, uh, you know, still pushing Sean Spears. Um, and, you know, just all those old faces. I was just like, this is not the same like vibrant upstart, revolution brand uh that it was when you were getting orange cassidy debuting to a giant pop of young people like it's just not doesn't feel the same
3: yeah and as we've seen through the past when tna started to bring in wwe talent it they completely just overrode whatever groundswell they could have for their own uh in-house talent and it was like, okay, we're gonna cross the line. We're gonna cross the line of WWE talent. How can you have a revolution and how can you be like this kind of promotion? And I think that's an issue of the the show at large, like this show was supposed to be in theory the blow off for their big two-week summer special that's going to over the next two weeks. But at least from like here, there was only two, there were only three matches on here that had people that were not in WWE. And we look at segments, not very many segments of people who have not been in WWE. And it's one of those things that maybe it's the realities of the situation, they aren't necessarily able to get everyone in on a weekly basis. And then you also have had issues with people coming contact with people COVID or people who are internationally, but like this segment is very symptomatic of the growing pains. I feel like this company has. And it's frustrating. Like to be honest, the one person who I joined the segment is the one person who was never on WWE TV at all. Now was Catalina Hager throwing water. Like I thought that she was, uh, I thought that she was great in the segment because like Art Anderson, Art Anderson basically droned. I remember being in the live chat. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. And then I like, started looking up something online instead of paying attention because just got droning after a while.
1: The I don't know when the last time this happened, but no elite members on the show, so oh, nope. Wow. No Bucks, no Hangman, no Kenny.
2: Maybe that's, that might be contributing to just the sort of vibe you got from it. Just like, yeah. where is, you know, where are these Everybody. aspects of this? Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. Well,
2: that's the promotion, right?
1: It's, it's called All Elite
2: Wrestling. All Elite Wrestling was no Elite Wrestling on this episode.
1: Right. And the idea of the promotion was, can these people, add Cody, but can these people carry a wrestling promotion that is bigly competitive with WWE, and you know if none of them are here, that makes it <laughs> that makes it pretty tough.
2: So, yeah, so I'll just double down on my take that they need to get rid of all the old managers because they don't add anything, especially when they're going to use as much time on them.
1: They haven't added anything. I think that's fair, uh, and I'm obviously a big fan of a lot of these guys, but you know, people have to go away at some point. Like you can't be useful in an entertainment. Uh, type aspect forever you know at some point you just have to be cycled out because otherwise you get in the thing like wwe where it feels like you've been watching the same shit for 20 years
2: right yeah you look at you know randy orton's run uh in wwe has been like twice the run of hulk hogan's original run this is like you know there's no new ground here and you just also lessen the effectiveness of these guys uh when you have them out here all the time if jake roberts was Twice a year, doing a pre-tape promo to hype something up, he would have that much more gravitas and it'd be that much more effective. Um, but instead, he's just out here, uh, you know, making Lance Archer look like not such a giant and looked just like a normal-sized guy.
1: Yeah, I mean, Taz has been the the different one in that he has added to the Brian Cage act. Yep. It hasn't been about him, and he's not retreading what he's been doing forever. You know, maybe it's helped that he hasn't been an on-screen character in a long time. So that helps, but he's actually been really good. So if these guys can come in and do something that's that's valuable, then they should. But sometimes it just feels like either Cody bringing in the people that you know that he loved, or Tony Khan thinking like, "Oh shit, I can book Art Anderson for my TV show." I th-
2: I think Cody in this promo says, "You know, I uh, I don't I don't like cosplay wrestling or whatever." You know. Uh, it- He's cosplaying as his dad, is what he's doing. Cody is a cosplay
3: wrestler. Yeah, Yeah, he dressed up as uh, Solid Snake before. His gear is based off He
2: made everybody wear fake Star Trek uniforms to the ring.
3: (laughs) Yeah, his gear is based off Legend of Zelda. We went into the Indies, like, oh yeah, no, this is like something that reminded me of Legend of Zelda. Like, fuck off with that. He's basically uh, going through his feelings about his dad on national TV on a weekly basis. He is a cosplay wrestler. He's cosplaying as dad, which usually is fine. Yeah, that's which you, which usually fine, but the thing is, is that we've experienced now in month three of this that Cody doesn't work without a crowd, and I think that, right. that that's the
2: the, the, the hey, that that aspect of him relies on the stardom and the stardom right. isn't there when you don't get the the response.
3: Yeah, it
1: also kind of sucks to be like, I don't like irony wrestling or whatever he said when like Orange Cassidy is going to be in the main event of the show that you're doing.
2: Maybe this is just the heel turn. Maybe this is that's true the FDR did throw up the four and during the match. So that would compute, you know, you also, uh, you know, Hikaru Shida wore cosplay in her match, you know? Yeah. So, and then immediately has Cody out here talking about cosplay wrestling. So don't, don't shit maybe that's, maybe we're, maybe we're given, uh, not giving Cody the, uh, uh
1: enough,
2: uh, enough running room here when he's actually doing a brilliant, uh, next level heel turn.
1: Are we getting worked, bro?
2: That's tough bro i've never been worked in my life
1: <laughs> uh then we got a video joey jadella sunny kiss with sunny getting attacked by people at a gas station and sunny and joey teaming up to fight them off here's my question did you all watch the full version of this video
2: oh no i don't think i did
3: yeah i watched the full version it owned i <laughs> love this it's wild i'll say that i i, okay. I love that i i thought that this was going to be like a very like this is gonna be like the new jersey connection no they're basically doing their own form of spring breakers and i think that that rules and now we could kind of see this i i do want to say that i think that joey should go all in on vaporwave miami aesthetic like go full 80s on this but yeah i thought this i thought this video rolled. i think i've loved every part of it like this would have been my elite pick of the night just because i think it's a very kind of cool way and it's they found a way to kind of tap into things in joey janella that he was missing in this company. And it's given Sonny Kiss an opportunity, one, to finally get more screen time, which is, and more rain time, which is something he desperately needed. And something that we're starting to see a pretty fun tag team to come together. And I'm excited for it.
2: Yeah. The video was awesome. Uh, the music of the music when Joey was in the convenience store getting mass amounts of Lunchables. That's all tremendous stuff. That's exactly what you want from Joey. And them having this brawl in the gas station. Uh, you know, a lot there, uh, you know, when you put wrestling moves in that context, they all look really silly. Um, but I think it worked in this case for whatever reason, just because of the tone of the video, this team in particular with Joey Janela and the sort of character that he is, it kind of didn't matter that it looked, you know, like doing ridiculous spots in a parking lot.
1: Next up Brody Lee and Colt Cabana defeated Joey Janela and Sonny Kiss. Did I get this right? Did Colt pin Joey?
2: Yes, because Brody Brody laid him out with the lariat, uh, and then let Cody or let Colt, I'm sorry, uh, take the pin. So Joey was down there for a pretty long time waiting for that pin to come.
1: Yeah, it just seems to be like Sonny is like the obvious person to take losses on this team. But
2: yeah, maybe it's just they 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 think they can't hurt Joey anymore because they've already sort of given him a lot of losses. Maybe that's all it is. That's true. Um, you know, seeing complaints about establishing this new team and giving him a cool vignette and then just immediately having them lose in service of this other storyline, which, uh, you know, is not, I think is a valid complaint. Um, didn't really bother me in particular. I was like, okay, you know, one team had to win here. Uh, and the Dark Order being a organization that helps people that are losing does not make sense if they can't get Colt to win at some point, right? So... You know, uh, maybe maybe the Jersey dyad team of Joey and Sonny is just a longer building thing, and I think that's fine.
3: Yeah,
1: I mean, Joey is acknowledging that he's like at his low point, so I think it's okay. I, I do hear the complaint, uh, but I'm willing to let let this one play out. Uh, the idea here was that Brody kind of stepped aside and and let Colt bask in the the glory of winning. Uh, after the match, Lance Archer attacked Sonny Kiss. Joey Jelleth threw a chair at Archer, but then Archer took him out. And then Jake Roberts came out and stopped Archer uh, from continuing the attack. Then we got a video recap. This was very bizarre because it was tied to nothing around it. But there was a video recap of Sean Spears beating Pineapple Pete on Dark by cheating. He had something in his glove that he hit Pineapple Pete with. And then very obviously took the thing out of his glove and handed it back to Tully Blanchard. And uh, yes, as you can guess, I hated it. Why did he have to take it out of his glove if the I don't referee know. couldn't see it?
2: Because you have to communicate that to the audience.
1: Yes, they wanted it to be even more obvious
3: what, what he had done. I, I feel like if we saw Sean Spears take the metal plate, which they made it very apparent on screen and was poorly shot and clocked Pineapple Pete and Pineapple Pete was not getting up after that, you don't have to take off the plate and throw it to this. It's a necessary <laughs> action.
1: We established earlier on this very show that Tony Khan watches very closely because as soon as that brawl happened, he booked the the tag match uh, involving MJF and Wardlow and, and Jurassic Express. So let's just assume he wasn't watching Dark. You know, I, I'll give him that maybe, you know, he doesn't check out Dark live. Uh, but, you know, he just saw it. So what is Tony Khan going to do about the nefarious acts of one Sean Spears?
2: My uh, My issue with the little recap here was... The the metal plate in there is like the size of a magnet you'd put on your phone to mount it in your car, like you couldn't hurt a fly with that thing. That is nothing.
1: And it's on like the pad of at like the bottom <laughs> of his hand, and he hit him like, like with a punch. So like, <laughs> how did that how did that affect the punch? Don't yeah. really understand that.
2: Hard uh, to say. Yeah just, I mean, just fucking make it a magic glove if you're going to do that. Why not? Matt Hardy <laughs> Matt Hardy, mined that glove in the minds of Moria, and now it's fucking super-powered. I don't know. That makes sense.
1: FTR defeated uh, the SCU team of Kazarian and Daniels. I think it was Cash Wheeler who pinned Christopher Daniels after the fake Goodnight Express. After the match, I think Dax cut a promo. I really I don't know their yes, name. That,
2: that was Dax, yeah.
3: Dax uh, is the bald one.
2: Dax right. is the Dax. Yeah, Dax is the one who fucking gets in there and is a house of fire and doing all these uh, southern tag exchanges at like three hundred percent speed, and is extremely entertaining for that reason.
1: He said, "We weren't a welcome addition to the AW tag team division. We are quote barely scratching five ten, very funny, and don't have the athletic background that Jr. likes." Uh, he says, but there are good guys and bad guys, but we're the baddest guys. Calls out a bunch of teams, including the Young Bucks. I guess the Young Bucks were on this show, but only briefly. Um, but the uh, the Butcher and the Blade are stealing their truck. <laughs> and Blade is calling the Butcher Butch, which I really enjoyed. Uh, this was weird. Pentagon and Phoenix jump in the ring. This is like a big return where yeah. they haven't been on TV in a long time. And the way they shot this just sucked shit because it's like, Oh, well, there's Pentagon and Phoenix. Uh, But basically, this led to the Blade saying that they were challenging uh, FTR and the Bucks to an eight-man tag. Butcher and the Blade would tag with the Lucha Brothers. Uh, The Lucha Brothers hit a package driver diving footstop combo on cash. Then the Bucks made the save. Lucha
3: Bros left, jumped in the FTR truck, and they all exited. (laughs) This was... I hated this match. I think SE and I think that sadly Christopher Daniels is kind of fallen off the cliff. I mean H is sadly caught up with him in a lot of ways and it's kind of painful for me to watch especially for him to have to take the fake goodnight express that's painful but the 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 whole like absurdity of one the uh the Butcher and Blade stealing the truck two penta and fenix being in the ring for like two minutes before like something happened and we caught on camera the fact that ftr saw and acknowledged that they were in the ring and then like they, they all left in, they left in the truck was incredibly amusing to me that even though i couldn't care less about ftr this was a very I, i'm somewhat excited to see if we get more truck crimes
2: yeah uh great match uh i think this was scu's best tag match they've had in this promotion um a guy that's been pretty predisposed to not being into ftr you know i i thought their feud with the bucks was something that had a lot of juice to it but as guys like the whole fucking shtick about leg slapping and we like old guys and we're the game of wrestling and all this is just like turns me off the act uh but i don't know when, when uh fucking dax harwood gets in there and is doing all this shit and just like determined to work his ass off. I'm like, damn fucking he's making Kaz interesting in this moment. I can't believe this. Uh, so I was, I was, again, it might be a matter of expectations, but uh, this greatly exceeded my expectations. Um, uh, Blade getting mic time was a delight. Cause that doesn't happen. <laughs> that amused me. Uh, and then yeah, Pinto Phoenix being in there is like, maybe too soon, but Hey, they don't know how to tag it. They don't know when they're supposed to enter the ring. So that just made sense <laughs> with their characters. And this four-way match makes no fucking sense whatsoever. And I'm very hyped for it. Uh, you know, plays into the FDR and bucks thing. They're not going to get their hands on each other. They have to the team first. And just the, the team of butcher and the blade and Lucha brothers. This is what I wanted from all elite wrestling is this kind of shit of butcher and the blade and the Lucha brothers sharing a ring and not another long Matt Hardy singles match. Um, yeah, this was uh, a, a delight. I guess I'm
1: hoping the Bucks don't use the tag ropes. You know, that's like uh, one way that could be fun. Uh, my thing with FTR, I agree with you, Nate. I was excited about them coming in, but now I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot why I hate these guys' whole shtick. Like, it's very boring. But then when they have this match, like, okay, they're not doing flips or whatever, but they do so much shit. They
2: do a ton. Or they just, yes. yeah, yeah.
1: It's like your whole stick is supposed to be that you don't have to do so much that you just like, you know, do the little stuff that tells the story, but they just like are constantly going. So
2: they do. I mean, the things they do are little stuff and they do a lot of it. It's like they just went maximal in a different direction where the Bucks are like, we're going to fucking do super kicks 30 times in every match. People are going to count the super kicks when we do this. And FDR is like, no, super kicks and flips are stupid and slapping your leg. We're going to do a tiny little, uh, you know, a million tiny little tag tricks and catch the guy while he's running the ropes in order to bail him out. And, uh, you know, do all these arm wrench tag combinations at 2000% speed. And, uh, that's just, I don't know. It works for me. Maybe, you know, maybe it's just cause it is like a fresh coat of paint on the young bucks where it's like, you know, everything as fast as you can full maximum effort at all times. But, you know they're the heel version. They're the foil, of the young bucks, and uh, that's interesting to me.
1: We get a video next on the best friends versus Kenny Omega and Hangman Page match. Uh, Trent says we hug because it makes us stronger. So you know we get a, a kayfabe reason for the hugging, which I think is good. Jr. probably like that. Uh, and basically the story that they're telling in the video is that the best friends have a lot of momentum. They've been winning a lot of matches, and Page and Omega don't really mesh with each other. Uh, Jr. Honestly, one of the best things he's done in the promotion was this little part in this video where he says, you know, they're trying to act like they've gotten on the same page, but I don't really buy it. I mean, it was good subtext that was there, but I think sometimes you do have to say that in a, in a wrestling thing to try to put it out there. And I thought JR was the right vehicle for it. And uh, Trent closed the video by saying, this is the biggest match of my life. We're going to fuck those boys up. And I, well, we're going to, we're going to preview Fighter Fest later. So I won't get in now to what I. What well, my thoughts on that are, I suppose. But uh, this was a good video.
3: Good video.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, Trent, just a, a weirdo in the exact right way for this promotion. The you know, stuff about why would we hug? And he's just like, man, hug gets mixed stronger. Why wouldn't we hug? <laughs> right. Best friends. That's you know, that's that's part the part of the AEW brand that we want is the best friends on that.
1: Yes, that went right into a Brian Cage John Moxley video, and you know, they're talking about everything that happened. Uh, last week, since Mox couldn't be on this episode and continuing to build that up, I was—I just happened to be looking at uh, AEW YouTube today and noticing that these all the Mox cage interactions are doing huge numbers. This is like uh, something that's very popular, at least on YouTube. I don't know if it's just that Moxley is very popular because he's one of the bigger stars to have come from WWE over here. But it also may just be that this story is particularly interesting to people. That led right into Brian Cage defeating John Cruz with the drill claw. After the match, we got the Taz promo. He says, where's Mox? Oh, I think I found him. He points into the camera. He's sitting on his ass on the couch. He asks John Moxley if he remembers Cage. He says, he's the individual who put your ass through a vehicle. He came to work and you're sitting at home with some bullshit excuse because you're a fraud. Now your championship is in great danger. You're going to lose at Fighter Fest and then you're done. I kind of like Taz using this against him in storyline. So,
2: you know, I don't, it's a, it's a very hard, it's a fine line, right? Cause yes, in any context other than, Oh, his wife has the extremely dangerous disease. It's great. But <laughs> that outcome was like pretty foreseeable. Right. You know, you know, if you listen to us and we said you shouldn't be fucking running shows right now, then you would know that this was inevitable at some point. So, you know, It's a good little heel promo. Taz's energy is great. He just fucking yells noise at the guy and talks shit and and does it with a perfect pro wrestling energy. Uh, But the inevitable happened, and the guy's wife has COVID, and there's a very good chance that he's going to get COVID. So
3: it's not ideal. It's not ideal, and this was a... uh, It's one of those things that, like, is it okay that he's making light? Of this, I think that this kind of works, but I can see why people might be frustrated or, or not defend. This is the, as you said, I think it's one of our favorite lines to throw on the show. Our favorite lines on the show is it's a very small needle to thread to like get this right. And I think Taz did great. I love Taz, and this Taz is the 150 year old plus person I keep on air in this company.
1: Yeah, like when he first said it, I kind of was like, oh, I don't know, but I don't know. The more I've said on it, I'm like, no, it, it heightens the feud in a way. Now you're gonna feel real bad if like something bad happens to Renee or to or to Moxley, obviously. Uh, but at this point, I'm okay with it. Uh, we'll see what happens. Brody Lee was backstage with Colt Cabana. He says tonight you showed the world on Dynamite uh, what you could do. You got your hand raised. He says at Fighter Fest we're gonna take on SCU. Colt just you know doing some acting. He's has some misgivings about facing his friends, SCU. Uh Brody says, SCU, you were once non-believers, but now I'm gonna bring my best friend. You bring yours. One of the best stories I think in the promotion is the the Brody Lee Cole Cabana story. All right, nobody disagrees. Excellent. No, no, yeah. It's great. <laughs> I
3: I I think that they found a very strong way to both make uh the Dark Order seem like a better force and a more directed force rather than spooky perverts. And it's something that I think would be better for SEU if they stick into trios matching if Christopher Daniels around. So I dig it.
1: Britt Baker sends another note to Tony. This note is for Big Swole. She says, I might've been in a dumpster for nine and a half to 10 hours, but you're still the biggest piece of trash on the roster. Big Swole walks up to Britt, who's still in the the Rolls Royce, uh, the plexiglass Rolls Royce. Britt says, I can't hear you. It's soundproof. You can't touch me. But of course, Swole climbs up the back of the vehicle. Uh, the weak point is in the back. There, there's no way to protect her. And she dumps trash on Brit. And we see Rebel trying to use a leaf blower to get Swole away.
2: Yeah, good segment. You know, builds on the dumpster thing last week in a fun way. Turned her little plexiglass car into a dumpster of its own. Uh, and hey, you can put Big Swole in the plexiglass in there because she may also have, uh, you know, close contact with somebody who's had close contact with many COVID positive persons. So, uh, you know, sort of limiting your harm that way.
1: Also, I guess we should talk about Tony Khan apparently said uh, on some podcast that we will not speak of that Kenny Omega had came up with the brit big swole trash angle that's going on i mean trash in a not that it's bad in a positive way and also was responsible for the angle of building up anna jay and then having uh, abaddon squash her so if you listen to the patreon you heard me talking about the the power struggles in the women's division and it sounds like one kenneth omega may be uh retaining some power in the Did women's you-
3: division did you update your spreadsheet of who has power and what divisions in AEW over this? Because I know you keep all the stuff close to the vest. You track it because you want to know who's in power what time. So I fully expect when you saw this, you you flipped over Google Drive and you did this, right?
1: Yes, I had to close my spreadsheet of who was nice to me on my birthday and open up the spreadsheet about who's in control of the women's division. But sounds like we could be headed back toward uh, a good day for the women's division. The glory days. The Glory Days, that's right. Glory Days. Uh, the opposite of Glory Days. <laughs> we had Matt Hardy defeating Santana with uh, a roll-up of some sort. Uh, after the match, Ortiz attacked Matt Hardy. Santana Ortiz did the street sweeper on him. Private Party came in to make the save.
2: Very hard to uh, stop myself from queuing for a uh, Dota 2 game during this match. and had to forcibly pull my hand back from the mouse and say no watch the what well, you have to do a podcast don't watch
3: yeah impressive restraint Nate. i i mean Tranky. the battle the battle pass just got announced
2: no the battle pass has been out they just put a giant sale on it okay where it's oh, like 75 yeah. percent off for levels or whatever yeah uh which is funny because you know sometimes you'll go into these games and you'll see people with like 500 level battle pass which means they dropped like 500 dollars on it or something and you're like yeah i guess you should have waited for the summer sale
3: and, and the thing that's insane about this, just so so Bentley understands what we're talking about, and for our listeners who aren't this
2: is the Fighter Fest preview, by the way, is this yes. Dota
3: segment, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing that they would always do, Aaron, is whenever they would have big tournaments, you, the Fighter Fest preview sponsored by Dota Two. <laughs> I, Gabe and giving us money? Yeah, hell yeah, yeah. I've already said that I would will go like, be on national game. TV. That's yeah, yeah. the better Gabe. Yeah, the better Gabe. Uh, so, so the thing is that they would they would have something called Battle Pass, which is basically this compendium that would you would pay money to it and it would put money into a tournament's uh, prize pool. The thing is that there's no tournaments this year. It's all online and there's no big tournaments. So this is just people paying $500 just because they want a pretty skin on one of their people. It's insane.
2: Look, the skins are cute. You got to get a fucking balled out courier to deliver your awards. These things are important.
3: Yeah, I have no doubt that that's true. I, I, I feel like Patreon content would be us because i played a little bit dota but us doing a three stack with bentley trying to teach him <laughs> how to play dota
2: no i'm not i'm not tanking my record by trying to carry bentley
3: <laughs> you're not gonna you don't have a smurf pulled up ready for that
2: uh no uh and now if you try to play rank they make you uh, validate a phone number
3: oh wow okay yeah hey,
1: yeah. hey nate does the term yeah. smack off mean anything to you
2: no it's not anything
1: okay you're not you're not familiar with the smack off
2: no, it's not. If I said the anything. Smack
1: Off 25, would that mean anything to you?
2: No. Okay.
1: Just checking. We'll, we'll follow up on this. Okay. Orange Cassidy and Chris Jericho faced off in the main event of AW Dynamite. Jericho says that Orange Cassidy is a joke that when you hear it the first time, it's kind of funny. But the more you hear it, the more annoying it is. He says that the more he sees Orange Cassidy's act, the more it pisses him off. Uh, when he first heard his name, he thought it was stupid. When he first saw his matches, he thought Orange Cassidy was an embarrassment to the business. And when he signed to AEW, Jericho called Tony Khan and the Bucks and Cody and asked why they brought Orange Cassidy in. And they said that's because people love him. Uh, then he says, when I watched some of your stuff, I kind of got it because you're unique. You got over on your own. but People love you because you're a lot like them. You're lazy and a slacker. You don't have what it takes to make it to the top. Uh, so you made a mistake when you broke out of your lane and got in my face. He says, I, I'm Chris Jericho, man, which is a, a great line read from Jericho. He says, So you better be the best Orange Cassidy you've ever been at Fighter Fest, because if you try any of that kick me in the shin offense, I'll kick your ass and win in 30 seconds. You better dig deep into those pockets and pull out a man-sized miracle. Because at Fighter Fest, the Orange Cassidy thing is over. You're going to run out of juice. Orange takes the mic, acts like he's going to talk puts it down, does the kick him in the shin, offense, Jericho gets mad, Orange puts his hands in his pockets, Jericho breaks Orange's sunglasses, Orange goes for the double leg takedown, they're brawling, they brawl through Daly's place, and it ends with Orange Superman punching Jericho through a table, and then posing while bleeding profusely from his ear and putting on a new pair of sunglasses.
3: Did you see the video of him getting sutures backstage? I did not. Oh, it was funny because it was uh, Chuck and Trent were just basically like, oh, look at you. you just going to get mad. He's going to get real mad. And then people talking <laughs> about, and then they were talking about like getting cut in your ear and how bad it was.
2: Yeah. The the highlight of it, you know, you get the, the Chuck and Trent energy, uh, but, and Dr. Samson. <laughs> but yeah. And Dr. Samson's there, you know, doing the, the stitching or whatever. And Chuck's like, Oh, you know, it, it's not that bad. It's got a cut, and then realizes he's, he's totally undercut the feud and been like, "Oh wait, we're not supposed to." I shouldn't say it's like not that bad. Um, and then, and then Doctor Samson bails him out. He's like, "Well, you could get cauliflower ear."
3: Is it, it? And then they go off saying <laughs> it'll look badass. It's like, yeah, yeah,
2: look but... like <laughs> he's gonna look like a badass. Uh, check it out if you haven't. Um, but yeah, I thought you know, pretty good, pretty good segment here. This was the right. Tack for Jericho to take in building this feud. This was the right time to do the spot where somebody fucks up Orange's glasses. Uh, you know, I will say, doing a brawl in blood on every episode of the show, you kind of get diminishing returns. And I don't, you know, I don't think the blood here was intentional, but it's still like, yeah, no. You, again, we see it every week, so you can't get too hyped about it. Yeah. I will um, the big spot where he does the running Superman punch, and Jericho goes flying through this table, right. They they also did this in the stadium stampede uh, and didn't realize their mistake. I guess running down these steps is not a good way to get speed and make it look like it's more forceful, right? No, yeah. not at
3: all. No, yeah, that's like looks. Jet.
2: So what what they need to do is I don't know if you guys have any experience with this. Instead of steps, they need sand dunes because sand dunes you can run down at full speed, and as you take steps, the, the dunes you know collapse and compact and make steps underneath you, so you can run at full speed down essentially a giant mountain. Uh, so they need to install a sand dune in Daly's place. And then they could do all the spots they want where you get a big running start down a hill and then do a dive onto somebody through a table or whatever.
3: And you get the potential of someone getting like tripped up in the sand dune. And no, see,
2: that, that doesn't happen. Cause it just oh, compact. sand okay well i i was flawless in my running down a sand dune experience so that, that's oh, just, a, look, look that's at just me. the mike Spearsism.
3: <laughs> look, look, look at me mr perfect sand runner over here the athlete Nate. i'll take it the athlete nate yeah uh they were really the got off premier awful. athlete <laughs> premier athlete brand sorry Thinking about
2: starting a brand
3: yeah uh they, they, they re- athlete sand. <laughs> <laughs> they, there we go. <laughs> the Aaron Bentley joke of the week. There we uh, go. Thank you, Nate. Uh, they really got off on of breaking glasses this week, didn't they?
1: Uh, yeah. Well, the first one was uh, not on purpose, I don't think.
3: But hey. Uh, yeah,
1: but you're right. Yeah, and Nate, you really you did the whole like uh, broken glass thing where now it's like they literally do an angle after every match. And yes. now it's all I can think about when I watch yeah. the show.
2: There's never, nothing ever just breathes. There's an angle or an attack after every segment yeah. or
1: during every segment. It's, I mean, it has real EFED energy from Tony Khan. <laughs> it really does. All right. That was Dynamite for this week. Uh, the ratings it came out uh, earlier on Thursday. AEW takes a big drop, uh, although it's kind of in line with the the, the curve that they have had over the past uh, four weeks, they're down to 633,000 from 772. So 140,000 viewer drop. They dropped from a 0.28 in the demo to a 0.22 and from 8th to 17th in the demo. NXT was up slightly, but it made them up big over AEW with 786,000 total viewers. But they lost again in the demo down from a 0.2 to a 0.19 and down to 26th from 25th in the demo.
3: Yeah, I got no takes this week.
2: Yeah, they were they were not very good. Yeah.
1: No. All right. Also, just want to remind everyone to check out patreon.com slash everything elite for uh, your bonus EE content. You get lots of bonus shows. So if you need more podcasts, we do lots of them every month. So check it out. This week, Mike and Nate did Into the Codyverse about the GCW, the world show from Indianapolis, and uh, it's getting rave reviews in the Everything Elite Discord.
2: Oh, good,
3: it was a fun show! We, we might have yeah. another one coming up with uh, the uh, Backyard, too. We might, we might have another review coming out with that. Yeah, maybe. sick. Yeah,
1: we also, as always, had AW Lite previewing Dynamite and Nate giving us coverage of all the vlogs that exist <sighs> on the face
2: of the earth. Sorry, I forgot to check if there was a new Blackpink vlog today. That's what that <laughs> well, was. Oh, new single drops at like 3 a.m. So, when everybody gets up tomorrow morning, or if you're listening to this on Friday this morning, new Blackpink single should be out. So, give that a. That's right. That out.
1: How you like that?
2: How you like that?
1: Uh, next week, we're going to have a Fighter Fest retrospective. We'll look back at at last year's Fighter Fest and talk about this year's Fighter Fest. So, that'll be coming up.
2: It's really just really refreshing to engage with an industry that's not at all problematic and doesn't have, you know, these sort of issues like K-pop. You can just like, oh, I can go to K-pop where nobody's canceled and there's nothing CD going on behind the scenes. It's really nice to have that sort of little break.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so join the Discord. I'm sorry. Join the Patreon, which will also give you access to the Everything Elite Discord, where we do live voice chats during Dark, during Dynamite. And we uh, just chat at, at any given time about everything so join us patreon.com slash everything elite next week on dynamite will be the first of two weeks of fighter fest from daily's place we're gonna get a live show well i don't know it's hard to really say what's gonna happen with uh covid (laughs) so i can't really say but this is the card as we know it uh the tnt championship cody versus jake hager the women's world championship hikaru shida Defending against Penelope Ford. The tag team championships are on the line. Kenny Omega and Hangman Page defending against the best friends. Santana and Ortiz versus Private Party. And MJF and Wardlow versus Jurassic Express. So a, a pretty strong card for uh the July one show.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's I I'm more stoked about Sheeta and Ford than anything else title-wise on the show. I don't know. I'm pretty stoked for the tag match. I think it'll be a lot of fun, the tag
1: title match.
2: Yeah, I've, I've liked what I've done with best friends on this show, um, and you know, Omega and Paige pretty much have good matches as a team. So,
1: yeah. So our, I think I've already promised it on this show. So I'm just going to say that uh, because of uh, time issues, we are pushing the full Fighter Fest preview to uh, the Patreon as part of the Fighter Fest retrospective. That will come out on Monday. So if you're not already a subscriber, go to patreon.com slash everything elite and you'll get the full in-depth uh, preview of Fighter Fest. So if you want to reach out to us, you can find us at everything AEW. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fujiheya. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Give us a rating and review if you're using the Apple Podcast app. And I've done like three plugs in, in short time, but patreon.com slash everything elite think that's it anything else you guys want to talk about before we go
2: no maybe uh maybe by monday we'll know what the plan is with uh john moxley of course mm-hmm. um yeah because he may no longer be on fighter fest would stand to reason that that's uh not not a great likelihood at this point um so yeah check that out
1: yeah i'd be more surprised if he's on <laughs> the fighter fest yeah it, would probably, yeah
2: it seems like it'd be pretty irresponsible to put him on <laughs> yeah I think so. but hey you know
3: yeah, like, it, until it came out that uh, that Renee Young did a home test and only found out because of, like, the home test, I was like, okay, this could have been something because the last taping was two weeks ago before last Wednesday. It could have been something that happened, and you've already had the, so the 14-day quarantine already started. So it's like, okay, it could happen. Now, we will see. We will see. And, I mean, we'll see with, it'll be interesting also because with QT Marshall as well, especially considering how many of the people live in that area of Georgia. So we will see. It'll be interesting one way or another.
1: All right. Well, for Mike, for Nate, I'm Aaron, and we'll see you next week.